0: Will you pray with me before we look to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We pray that you will use it as you will this morning among us. Help us to be attentive to the words we see and the words we hear, knowing that every word in the book before us comes from your mouth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great benefits of preaching through books of the Bible, like we do here at Crosspoint, is that the preacher cannot be uh, blamed or given credit for the passage he chooses to preach on a given Sunday morning. Uh, he, He simply preaches whatever passage comes next in the book, regardless of its topic, regardless of the occasion. So when... Daylight Saving Sunday just happens to come around, and when the theme of the sermon passage just happens to be attentiveness to the Word of God, uh, we know that God is subtly at work, don't we, in a very mysterious way. I invite you to open up to Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. That's our passage. It's page 403 in the hardcover Bibles we've provided for you. Nehemiah chapter 8. And we will cover the entire chapter this morning. By this point in the book of Nehemiah, God has helped the people of Israel to rebuild completely the ruined walls of their city, Jerusalem. Chapters 1 through 6 describe in detail Nehemiah's leadership of that project, as well as the various uh, oppositions that the people of Israel faced During this time. But we find ourselves now in a new section of the book and with a new focus. With the wall rebuilt, the narrative now directs our attention to the people. How will they be rebuilt? What will they do with their lives now that they're safe and sound behind their precious city walls? Our passage this morning tells us what the people of Israel did first. And so I invite you to follow along with me as I read Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Shema. Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand, and Pedeah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadina, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Aqab, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kilida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said, all, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers, houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, ...and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day... The people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly, according to the rule. And this is God's word. What we see in this passage is a sweeping Spiritual reformation. The people's hearts became sensitive to the will of God and their lives were changed. Isn't that what we want to see in our midst? We want to see a spiritual reformation, don't we? We want to see changed lives in ourselves, in this church, in this city, in this nation. But how does that happen? What must we do to be changed? What this passage shows us is that spiritual reformation begins only when we reorient our lives around God's Word. Spiritual reformation begins only when we reorient our lives around God's Word. So if you and I want to see change, deep-rooted long-lasting spiritual change in our lives, guess what? We must be people of the book. We must allow God's Word to be the guiding principle of our lives. Our passage this morning gives us three ways in which we should orient our lives around God's Word. Three ways. And first, we see in verses 1 through 8... That we are to honor God's word. We are to honor God's word. We are to hold the holy scriptures in the highest esteem. Throughout these first eight verses, we can see that the people of Israel honored God's word in at least four ways that I think are instructive for us this morning. The first way they honored God's word was by desiring it. Simply desiring it. Look at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man, or flocked, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now that the people of Israel were safe in their city, they wanted to live in obedience to God's commandments. The ones he had given them long ago, the ones he had given to Moses. We know this law as the first five books of our Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So all the people of Jerusalem rose early in the morning, packed themselves like sardines into one of the city squares, and they called out for Ezra, that faithful scribe, with only one request. Bring the book. We want to hear from God. Bring the book. And isn't that how revival always begins? It always begins with people going back to the Bible amidst all the distractions. We must go back to the Bible. That's what Israel did. And if we want to see change in our own lives, we too must go back to the Bible. Bring out the book is what we must say. But God doesn't just want us to desire his word, he also wants us to listen to it. And that's the second way the people of Israel honored God's word, by listening to it. Look at verses 2 and 3. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, verse 3, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate, so he read it to them, From early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. Did you know that we can honor God's word simply by listening to it? The Apostle Paul told the young pastor Timothy in the New Testament to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. Listening to God's word being read aloud is an act of worship. By the way, did you notice how long Ezra read from the law? The text says he read from early morning until midday. That's nearly six hours, 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. And yet, how did the people of Israel respond? Verse 3 tells us, the very end. And the ears of all the people, who? Men, women, and all who could understand, almost certainly a reference to young children, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. God was in their midst. He was causing them to desire the word, and so they listened to it attentively. Now, parents of young children, please do not feel rushed or pressured by what you see in this verse. Please do not feel rushed or pressured by to bring your children into this worship service prematurely. Our children's worship program is designed to bless you and your children as you try to discern when is the best time to bring them in. But please do recognize that your children can understand far more than you think they can. Haven't we all discovered that in the wrong way? Where did she learn that? They might not be able to speak articulately, but they hear and they listen, and many times they understand. So parents of young children, please do not be afraid to bring your young children into this worship service at any age. Sure, it might be noisier. Sure, it might take a few coloring books and some Cheerios, but provided you share them with us, we promise to be patient with you. Our children need to hear the word of God at an early age. So bring them in with us as early as possible. They, like us, just as much, need to listen to God's word read. The third way the people of Israel honored God's word was by revering it. Revering it. Verse 4 tells us that the people had constructed in advance a wooden platform for the reading of the law. But this wasn't just a soapbox. It was actually more like a pulpit. In fact, the Hebrew word for platform here means quite literally tower. So the people of Israel elevated the scriptures. You know, you can tell a lot about what a church values by the way it looks on the inside, can't you? Walk into any church and see what they elevate, and you'll know that church's priorities. Right, architects. Aesthetics communicate priority. Some elevate the drums. We're doing what I, we're doing what we can with our space here. Okay, this isn't natural. Some elevate the choir loft. Some elevate the altar. What's front and center? What's elevated? But as we seek, Lord willing, to build a future worship space, what will we elevate? There will be many temptations, but I pray that we will imitate the example of the people of Israel and elevate the word of God above all. They put the word on it pulpit on a tower, front and center. It deserves that honor, but the people's reverence for the scriptures didn't end up, didn't end there. It didn't end with mere architecture. Verse five tells us that when Ezra opened the book, all the people stood. They gave the word of God, a royal reception and welcomed God's uncontested authority in their midst. Verse 6 tells us that Ezra praised God for the gift of his word, and all the people lifted up their hands and said, Amen, amen, or we agree, we agree, yes, thank you. And then they did something that might seem odd to us. They prostrated themselves on the ground and worshipped. But they weren't worshipping a book. The text says very clearly that they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They worshipped the Lord by revering His Word. But there's one more way the people of Israel honored God's Word. The fourth way they honored God's Word was by understanding it. Understanding it. Verse 7 tells us that the Levites those who have been given the task of instructing the people in God's law, helped the people to understand what Ezra was reading. And verse 8 tells us how they did this. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. In other words, they preached. They gave the sense of what was read. We're tempted oftentimes to want to be entertained by a sermon, aren't we? But if that's the case, I should get out of the business. True preaching is not primarily entertainment. True preaching is primarily explanation. Bringing to bear what God has said. The great preacher, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said, What is it that always heralds the dawn of a reformation or revival? It is renewed preaching. Not only a new interest in preaching, but a new kind of preaching. A revival of true preaching has always heralded the great movements in the history of the church. Think of the book of Acts. When conviction fell on people, it was after the word was preached and it was was explained. Think of the Reformation. Bring out the book, they said. So you see, true preaching helps the listeners to understand the scripture. We don't honor God's word by thinking it to be outside of our comprehension. No, we honor God's word by seeking diligently to understand it. Spiritual Reformation begins when we honor God's word. But if we want to see spiritual reformation in our midst, we must not only honor God's word. We see in verses 9 through 12 that we must celebrate God's word. We must receive God's word with joy and gratitude. But the people of Israel discovered quickly. That celebrating God's word is sometimes a bit easier said than done. At the end of verse nine, we read. All the people wept as they heard the words of the law. The reading they had requested, the one they had anticipated and crowded all around to hear had brought them to tears. The law had made them painfully aware of their own sin. And yet, this should be no surprise to us. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3 20 plainly that through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law reveals to us how we are to live in God's presence, but the law also reveals to us how we've all sinned, broken God's law, and brought God's judgment upon ourselves. Now we can see why all the people of Israel wept. We should all weep when we come to that understanding. What a horrible thought. God's judgment awaits. And the wages of our sin is death. No one escapes. But we would be gravely mistaken if we thought that God wanted us to wallow in our sin forever. In verse 9, Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites tried to console the people. They said, look, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. If you recall from verse 3, all these events occurred on the first day of the seventh month, which is a holiday or a holy day, as the leaders called it, the Feast of Trumpets. On this particular holiday, the Feast of Trumpets, trumpets would be blown at different intervals throughout the day to alert the people of Israel to remember their sins and prepare themselves for the upcoming Day of Atonement, which was on the tenth day of the seventh month, just over a week away at this point. But in verse 10, Nehemiah reminded the people that the Day of Atonement should not be feared but celebrated. Look at what he says, verse 10. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And then Nehemiah says something very important. He says, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. you realize what the people of Israel had done? As they listened to the law, they had found their sin, but they had forgotten their Savior. Yes, they had broken God's law and earned his judgment, but God had been gracious to them. In his joy, he had rescued them from exile. In his joy, he had reclaimed them as his own. What more proof of his forgiveness could they need? And how much more then do we need? Friend, are you grieved by your sin? Are you trapped in despair and can't get out? Give your grief to God and let him give you his grace. Don't wallow in it. No matter how badly you've blown it, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, God declares over you, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Child of God, you are forgiven. You are set free. And frankly, frankly, you need to party. You know what Nehemiah says to you? You need a good glass of wine. Cheer up believer. God's grace is greater than all your sin. It's time to celebrate. And that's what Israel did in verse 12. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They understood God's word and they celebrated You and I can know that we understand God's word when it turns our sorrow into celebration. Our sorrow into joy. We are to celebrate God's word. But there's one more way in which our lives should be oriented around God's word. In verses 13 through 18, we see that we are to obey God's word. We are to obey God's word. Verse 13 tells us about the very next day. It tells us that the leaders of Israel came to Ezra the scribe on the following day in order to study the law. And they made a profound discovery. Verses 14 and 15 tell us what they found. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the 7th month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all the towns and in Jerusalem go out to the hills and bring branches of olive wild olive myrtle palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written the feast being referred to here is the feast of booths a 7-day long feast and during this feast all the people of Israel were to make booths for themselves or temporary huts that were made from branches of trees and live in them for seven days in order to remember and reminisce about how God had protected their ancestors who had lived in booths in the wilderness for 40 years after they had been rescued from Egypt. It was part of the holiday. Now, Israel had kept the the Feast of Booths up to this time. But as you might imagine, um, the whole camping out element seemed to go out of vogue. Pretty quickly. Go figure, right? But the leaders of Israel were determined to be a people of the book. And so they reinstituted the feast of booths in true form. True form, excuse me, and instructed everyone to make and live in booths as the Lord had commanded them to do. And look what the people did. Verse 16. So the people went out and brought them, that is the branches. And made booths for themselves. They obeyed immediately. And not just some of them. Verse 17 tells us: And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity, all the people of Jerusalem, made booths and lived in booths. For from the days of Jeshua, or Joshua, the the leader who took Moses' place, From the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Every single person obeyed. Look, I don't know about you, but if I were asked to camp on my roof for seven days with a palm branch over my head for covering, I'd I'd be a little bit crabby, wouldn't you? But the people of Israel were not. They adopted the motto of the moving truck I saw on Airline Highway a few days ago. Anything, anywhere, anytime. Anything you ask, Lord, I'll do. Anywhere you send me, Lord, I'll go. Anytime you ask, Lord, even in my old age, I'll do it. I'll obey. And verse 18 tells us that this wasn't short-lived obedience. They obeyed To the very end, verse 18, and day by day, from the first day to the last day, he, that is Ezra, read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Sometimes the Lord will ask us to do things that don't necessarily resonate with us, some things we don't prefer to do. But when we obey him, he gives us joy and endurance. What has the Lord called you to do that's particularly difficult? Has he called you to serve in a job that you don't prefer at the moment? Has he called you to be loving toward a particularly grouchy spouse? Has he told you to be loving and patient toward a house full of wild children? Obey him and he will give you his joy. Anything, anywhere, anytime. Friends, what do we need that God has not given us? He's given us his very son. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. That's not all. He's also given us his joy. God has given us his joy. And he has promised to strengthen us with his joy. So that we might be a people of the book, a people who honor God's word, a people who celebrate God's word with joy and gratitude, a people who obey God's word immediately. And we know that in all these things. It is not us. Who strive alone to do this. But as Philippians 2 says. It is God at work in you. Both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. God is with us. Forgiving us. Loving us. And strengthening us. To obey everything that comes from the voice of God. Let's pray together.